0: Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire.
1: And my name's Dr. Conor Brady, the non vet of the gang from dogsburst.ie. And together we are. are raw Pet, pet Medics. medics. <laughs>
0: Hi, how are you doing, guys? We're back. We're down one of the trio, I'm afraid, due to uh, internet issues. Well, Brent, also sorry, you look like you're in a different spot. Uh, Where are you? I am. It it might be a little bit echoey. I'm a week away. I'm up in Scotland. Yeah. So it's uh, doing a little bit of work up here. Um, Yeah. So in a place called Burnt Island, which is uh, apparently quite sought after by some people to uh, to visit uh, and even live in. North of Edinburgh. It's yeah. uh, lovely stone buildings on a crescent with park and a beach and everything else. Oh, really? But the train line runs between the park and the beach. So that's
1: interesting. Okay, sort of we there. A
0: train, <laughs> a train
1: across yeah. the
0: sea. Um, and then the, uh, yeah, the, it's, it's a typical town. There's, yeah. um, there's uh, a, some deprivation in some areas and, you know, had a really good walk around with the dogs. Yeah, um, and uh, but apparently it's, it's quite a nice, uh, nice place in the summertime. Um, bit cold at the moment. No, I definitely. have not dipped my toe in the North Sea yet. Why would you? Although the dogs, the dogs have gone rushing in because oh, they, of no. course, just love it.
1: <laughs> we did with myself and Nick. We were up in Finland with Anna I'm Borgman in Helsinki that time, and they all go swimming in the Baltic Sea. But I mean, we use that word Baltic to describe perishing cold. <laughs> So it's, it's like when they say you want to go for a swim in the Baltic Sea. It's like no, I don't. But everybody else was. I felt like I had to do it. It was just agonising. But uh, that was nice after a while. I suppose. Yeah, but, uh, yeah not my sort of torture. So uh, so yeah. Listen, guys, thanks for joining us. This is going to be Q and A. We've got a clatter of questions uh, built up from last Q and As, which hopefully we'll fly through. Some of them are repeating, so we'll we'll use the most common ones for tonight. But thanks for sending them in to Patreon on our Facebook pages. Uh, we appreciate all that. You'll find us on patreon.com forward slash raw medics. We really, really appreciate it. We love you being here. Uh, if you can afford the price of a cup of coffee on Patreon, that really helps us do interesting stuff. If you can't, don't worry about it. It's always going to be free to free to air anyway. So uh, we just love having you here. So, so yeah, Bren, um, nothing else exciting. We will just get straight into it. Uh, do you want to start off? What was the one that leaped off the page for you? Yeah, so
0: we've got um, the first one that we uh, talk about quite a bit is uh, probiotics. Uh, Somebody's uh, got a little 16-month-old lab, and Helen, thank you for this question. Uh, You've had your little Labrador in for some major surgery, and you would asked the question um, how long to give probiotics for after uh, this um, problem. Oh, that's Um, a good one. You, uh, you've got some advice on probiotics that you've given in the past. What yeah. probiotics would you like particularly?
1: Um, I like, uh, I, don't really, I don't really mind, to be honest with you. I think they're all pretty good and pretty bad. The studies of probiotics are a bit hit and this, kind of like you're throwing troops at the guns. And particularly if you're not fixing the environment, you're just, uh, you're wasting your time, it seems, with a lot of the times. But when you are making changes and trying to help the dog probiotics are fab. Uh, so I like the ones in time-release capsules, which seem to be a little bit harder to find because I do believe the dogs' stomach acids are like lava. Uh, I mean, the whole pH point of gastric juice is lower than ours, which is 10 more acidic. So I kind of believe that if you can get them in these time-release capsules and open in the intestines, you get much bigger release of life. I, I guess that helps if you believe the literature on the products, the people that make those products, you'd swear, oh my God, there's no other probiotic." So I like them, and I think it's interesting that a lot of probiotic manufacturers, all of them in fact, I haven't found them without, use some sort of uh, animal protein. So I, I use probiotics a lot when you're trying to rehab these guts from food intolerances. So it annoys me a bit when there's beef or pork. But my two go-to ones are hyperbiotics from the US, cheapest chips. They arrive in your house. Greg's has, seems to have scuppered that a little bit for uh, Britons, uh, and also Phytos4 in the UK. Uh, hear nothing but good things about them. They've got a bit of science behind them. Uh, vets good vets like yourself, Nick uh, are behind that, so that's good enough for me. So I do believe any probiotics is better than none. What's the time thing? How long, Brent? What's what's? Uh...
0: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things for you know giving them, and yeah, as you say, there's some natural probiotics that we've all talked about with fermented foods and beers and things like that. Um, that you've got to think about late at night, just to, you know, away from food to give, just so it gets through the stomach without there being a big acid re- release. Uh, just again, you've talked about time-release options in capsules. Some of them are actually micro-encapsulated, you know, so they'll actually have a coating placed on the individual grains to allow them to get through um, mm. the stomach. And then you've got the other ones which are sporulated, so yeah. things like the um, the phytospore are actually in a spore form, so they wait for the handshake of the um, its small intestine. Ooh, environment cool. to actually start to reproduce, so that side of things. But the interesting thing about how long to give these for, well, there's various reports, and um, certainly on the human side, where there's been long-term antibiotic use or or some major gut upset, it can be a year of giving support to the gut to actually wow. re-establish. And I know that there was some science about well, how effective are probiotics? Um, And they were literally giving probiotics for a week and then retesting uh, what was going on. And they sort of came back with, it doesn't really do very much, but that could well be down to not really being able to give it long enough to to see those changes.
1: The timing thing was very interesting there, Bren. Um, So uh, dogs, you you want to avoid those good acids. There was a great study using um, a a CAFER study where, Uh, there was an effect on the biome only if kafer was given before the meal the the kafer was only really useful when it was given before meals so in other words outside of those stomach acids so like you said uh, between meals you know if you have a morning and evening feed lunchtime uh, sneaking your probiotic and the given with juice was better than giving them dry so it's sneaking them in in fluid because it's gonna it's gonna open up the chain, isn't it just rush it into the intestine so uh so uh, th- that seems to be the way to do it. So, but that's the timing thing is interesting, yeah. But how do we know how long to give them bread? Like, what do you advise after you've given the dose antibiotics?
0: Yeah, so I would at least give it for seven days after a short course. So, if they've just had a, even if they've just had gut upset, actually, um, and no antibiotics, um, it's sometimes worth giving it for at least a week after uh, they've had um, that stomach upset. So, have a little think about that for, um, uh, at least um, a, a regular dosing there's other reasons to give it, um especially if they've had skin disease or other inflammatory problems uh, so yeah. just think about where you go with um, types of of probiotics as well. You may need to change those um, I know a lot of people that buy them off the shelf the human ones, and then before you know it, you've got um something that's not necessarily fully effective for dogs,
1: yeah yeah absolutely um- I, I I used to, I know a lot of people are measuring uh, stool samples and whatnot and trying to uh, see where their dog's gut flora is, but some of the top companies don't actually give the client a remedy after that. It's kind of like, this is the state of their gut flora. It's totally out of whack, as you'd expect if you've got some sort of good issue. But it's the kind of, you know, what, what's the solution? I now find myself recommending, there's a company in Ireland called Irish Equine Research, uh, who do a lot of probiotics for racehorses, started doing it for dogs. And somebody just messaged me two days ago saying they put two very chronically itchy dogs, a vet, two very chronically itchy dogs they couldn't get right with all the usual approaches through that autogenous probiotics where you send a poo sample into Irish Equine research and they look at the poo, they see they're all over the place and then they culture a probiotic from the dog's own stool and then send that back to you. So so it's autogenous, it's made from the body. Then they cryogenically store them in little pillules there. So every time you need a probiotic, you just get onto them and they post one out to you for 20 quid. And I thought, oh, that is neat. But the, the results are very, very good. So I sent maybe five or six, seven of our worst dogs out there that she just couldn't get right no matter what we were doing. And like half of them had a really blinding kind of improvement. So I think that's money well spent. It's about 140 sterling. The first, the initial dose is like a liquid. But yeah, so it's, I find that more, more than just the analysis, because you can get kind of analysis paralysis when your dog gets really sick. But actually, you know, these are patients' probiotics. If you wanted to go to the next level, if you're wondering what the next level is for probiotics, that is definitely, that could be money well spent if your dog is a terrible case and you feel like you've tried everything else. That's something I find myself recommending for looking and seeing what's wrong. But uh, do you ever use those uh, those good flora, those dual flora kind of analysis and see where they are? Do you ever use that? Yeah, so there was a
0: lot of work done back in uh, the 1920s, actually, on uh, using, looking at gut flora Problems and actually feeding them back as uh, cures. Um, in those days, not only did they look at the cultures, but they actually looked at the um, making homeopathic versions of that, uh, which was really yeah. interesting and seeing similar effects. So it was one right. of those, you know, before they really knew about antibiotics and giving, you know, the the long courses and and things like that. What was happening with illness generally um, and how? gut flora could change those fairly markedly Um, even with mental illness and there's you know a medical conference back in 1911 that was talking about the effects of gut flora change on mental health so you know it's just amazing how how long you know microbiome has been you know part of medicine it's always almost got forgotten when we started treating things with antibiotics Uh, yeah (laughs) craziness Um, I think from other areas, fecal transplants um, is another area that we do um, to sort of like try and give back good gut-friendly. So we look for donor dogs disease-free and then effectively transplant a whole group of flora back into uh, the large intestine and and try and get that up, um, jump-starting the gut flora uh, change. Uh, And I've seen some amazing results of that you know itchy dogs behavioral issues and literally within three days resolved. that's interesting and 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 that's rather than giving weeks of probiotics and and prebiotics so a lot of the microbiome stuff that you send off what they'll do is they'll give you a list of prebiotics that come back to add to um, the diets
1: yeah they're usually plant-based prebiotics i do wonder how much science there is on the prebiotics for dogs are probably slightly different to what we think they are but behavior stuff with it is very interesting they're using lactobacillus and um and bifido uh in in, in mental health patients at the moment and they're taking dogs out of fights out of stressful situations uh, dogs rescued from a dog ring 25 dogs from a dog ring all have the same shift in uh, in good floor this horrible good floor so what happens is you, you say all the happiness comes from your gut 90 percent of your serotonin comes from your gut that's your good floor i tell them the the, the immune system around your gut saying really serotonin has been a good boy but the good flora produced loads of things in cells butyrates and gaba uh, gaba tells you to calm down and reduces your anxiety and phobias and stuff so a happy good flora produces loads of its own compounds so now they just take those bacteria and put them into these dogs that they've rescued uh, to bring back some sort of mental stability before they start working on them training wise which i found very interesting so people are trying to train a stressy dog and it's like, well, you've got a whole rickety foundation there that you need to improve first before you even think about him doing his homework, you know. But um, listen, that's probiotics. I have a question here from uh, from Patricia Getton. I, I like when Patricia asked me a question because she used to ask me loads of questions back in the day. But Patricia Getton from Raw and Holistic Cat and Dog Support Group, fabulous natural dog group in the UK. Um, so she asked me, why are dogs more prone to, uh, why are they prone to chicken and beef allergies in inverted commas? Uh, why is that? Weird as a cow being allergic to grass. So do you want to start off with one, Brennan? Uh, what, what one yeah. jumps to your mind?
0: I think that there's, there's two things um, that I would look at. One is uh, what they're going to be exposed to naturally. And let's face it, the majority of dog and cat food out there are going to contain either chicken or beef Um, and so it's really common um, sources of of protein uh, in the diet if you've got any weakness within the gut you're going to get increased exposure and you know that's why sensitization can occur. Um, The other is the um, artificial exposure if you like that will come about through injection so there are certainly some injections which will be um, and related in, let's say, vaccines, um, the leptospirosis vaccine, the, the bacteria are grown and presented within beef serum, so beef albumin no is within the vaccine. So, you know, you've got to understand if you put any adjuvants in there, and some of them still do have adjuvants, you've got a risk that the adjuvant will excite the immune system, not just to the leptospires, which are within the vaccine, but also to the protein which is around that. Yeah. And therefore, that could also be a reason for sensitization. Um, and then you've got some of the other side Now, not strictly chicken, but certainly with beef, okay? Uh, sorry, with eggs. Um, they, they do grow some of the viruses on egg, um, And in order to do that, you're obviously, when you're harvesting the virus, you are at risk of, effectively contaminating the vaccine with egg protein as well there's some similarities with chicken um, in that sense because it's chicken eggs they use but whether it's strictly the same as the meat chicken protein um is up for debate
1: yeah that's interesting um and um, the, the, there was a very interesting few studies out there if people want to really uh, if you really want to stir the pot um there's some very interesting studies on the AIDS virus where uh they were using uh wasn't it chimpanzee DNA in with the vi- with the polio virus initially. And uh they believed uh well three or four or five big, big studies in the early nineties pointed the finger at this. Now the studies are refuted too, but you know, it's a better explanation than somebody was you know having sex with a with a monkey somewhere and, and then we got the AIDS virus. So uh, you know, it did pop up out of nowhere, and these things sometimes are have funny, funny explanations. Anyway, good science. There was good science on that. Was good refutes too. So I do just like to stir the pot. You can search for those studies on uh, on Google Scholar. I was going to talk tonight about good info and doing that, but as soon as I mentioned to you, to Bren and Nick that we should uh, we should do this, the lads, you know, this is such a big show. We would do it. Well, I mean, it's such a big idea to talk about sourcing good info that we're all going to talk about this next week. So we're moving that segment that we're going to do. It's just too big to talk about how you re- how you research who you trust and the problems of peer review and stuff. I mean, it's a juicy, juicy 45 minutes. So it's best we can move that. Yeah. There's other issues that can happen with chicken that can maybe perhaps mis, uh not diagnose, mislabel uh, as an allergy. I mean, not all food sensitivities are allergies. Like one chemical issue with chicken is that, particularly in the US, they use a lot of uh, oxytetracycline, uh, an antibiotic that we know affects in the bones of the animal. And so in 2016, an award-winning study by Bethlehem and a few others uh, wanted to say to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, these bones are not healthy for us because it's full of oxy residue. And so what they did was they got a load of dogs and they got a load of chicken carcass and they fed chicken carcass to the dogs. And the dogs got way more inflamed from eating the chicken carcass Mm -hmm. and they pointed the finger at oxy and said that's the difference between chicken without oxy and chicken with oxy. I don't believe there's a huge amount of antibiotics used anymore in the Department of Agriculture agricultural stuff in britain but i imagine there is
0: there isn't is there not they've got moved so they um six or seven years ago there was a bit of a study on the use of antibiotics and overuse and abuse of antibiotics as growth promoters um and it used to be thought of as a, a bad practice anyway um before that and i think britain has massively reduced its antibiotic use Uh, as a a growth promoter uh, within farm animals before this, but a massive drop-off. They found that within two to three years of starting that project of reducing antibiotic use in uh, animal feed within the UK as a routine, um, they managed to decrease the antibiotic uses in farm animals by nearly 60%. No way! So, story. and that's and that's a huge amount considering you know how short a time frame that was um but we do know that it's certainly used in some places um on the continent still and certainly uh renowned in certain uh states in the u.s uh for you yeah. know using in large farms they're almost effectively manufacturing plant you know yeah.
1: there's a problem with that now with that i see with talks to bring in Australian meat, and Australian has its share of uh, intensively reared uh, poultry, and uh, they do like to use the stuff that uh, Europe and Britain don't use in the chicken, so it becomes very difficult. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we don't bring in Brazilian meat in Ireland, and whether it gets into Britain or not. Um, the last thing that was interesting about the intolerance thing was, uh, there was a study from Israel that showed if you delay feeding peanuts to kids beyond the first year, it multiplies their chance of a peanut allergy by 10. And it was very interesting, though. So that, is, that is very sort of said that you're you there is a huge amount of education that goes on in the immune system via the gut. Uh, so um, yeah, I just thought that was very interesting. That you were mother. Uh, and also on the interesting. Black, uh, you know, peanuts. You know?
0: Peanuts are not true nuts. You know, yeah. they are. Well, they're, they're roots, aren't they? They're little. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they're grown. They're not the typical tree nut. So it's as different from a hazelnut as yeah. They're more leguminous. You know, right, so right. you've got the yeah, yeah. So um, that's the so if you've got um, allergies to those, you've got to look out about some of the other legumes and soya and things like that, rather than Did necessarily
1: monkey, just monkey nuts not grow on trees and people pick them. Is that not a monkey no the roots? Does... What wow, God, it's so spongy and soft.
0: Yeah, that's that's what's encasing it underneath the
1: ground. <laughs> no way, no way. I didn't know that that's it.
0: Bro. You're going to go <laughs> look it up, aren't you? I am, yeah. It actually, <laughs> and it's not April
1: 1st. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll tell you, Ronan already told me that from Bell and Duke because he absolutely hates uh, cooked peanuts, roasted peanuts. He says they're the absolute worst things. He said, no, they're really, really nasty. And he was telling me they're kind of yeah. like...
0: Yeah, they're, they're um, not typical peas.
1: we have lost money on that. So what's next, Brand? What have you got next?
0: Uh, so what have I got in this? I've got... So uh, we've had a couple of um, questions. We've, we've got some questions around the poppy vaccines. And I would say, look, we've done quite a few. So if you look last year, uh, we look at, um, uh, towards the end of last year in December and also uh, back to January time, we did sort of answer a few of those. So um, if you're wondering about when to give um, vaccines, then please you know, do have a look at that um, on that post. Um I've got a, a really elderly dog, okay, who's 17. Um, and they're trying to initiate giving some bones. And it's a little little dog of um about a westy size. What they've ended up doing is that the dog has just literally is grabbing and gobbling it, and they want to know, is it um that? they needed to educate the dog from an earlier stage in order to cope with the the, um, bone material? Or is there another way that you would educate this dog um, so that it's not trying to choke on these
1: wings? Oh, Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, Yeah, I would say you do hear of that. That actually popped up a week or two ago as well with somebody who was new to Raw and was just shocked at her dog's gluttony. (laughs) You know, it, it might have come up on Patricia's group, but it's somebody's group anyway. And all the raw feeders said, well, you know, most would have said, listen, most dogs do actually eat with great gusto. You know, that is one of the traits of them being the, you know, giant, wide, keratinized gullet. These are animals that chomp. They don't, they can't chew very quickly. They just shake off a lump and they swallow big lumps very, very quickly. So You know, it's almost like an eating competition every time they get in front of a carcass. So initially, it might seem like shocking behavior. um, But um, I think that, you know, that the dog's trying to choke itself. That probably needs a bit of defining. I would say if your dog did do something silly and was choking himself on, let's say you tried to give him something small that you thought he could have, like chicken wing or chicken necks. But then I would probably up the size of the bone for a small dog. And I'd say, have had a putty. I'd have a big meaty bone of any type. And I'd say, go for it, bud. Knock yourself out. He's he's only so much damage he can do to a very big bone. But he's not swallowing. There's no danger of choking. He can't get his teeth around such a bone. You know, that might be one way to let him have his fun. So I would up the size of the bones. And maybe I wouldn't trust a small dog. I've never had that issue, but it does sound a little bit alarming. But um, education-wise, I can't imagine that dog is ever going to be a very double eater of chicken necks. What about you, Ben? What do you do with a small, greedy one?
0: Yeah. Well, I always say to people, look, you know, the, the whole concern over big bones, are they too hard for these smaller dogs? And, you know, is there a risk of, of dental fracture and, and that side of things? There's, there's always, you can move to carcasses. So you can actually go up the size, um, but still with chewable cartilaginous skeletal yeah. stuff. And... You know, it's hard to stuff a whole chicken down your throat. Yeah. You know, it might be easier to try and swallow a whole wing. Yeah, giving them something that's that's automatically going to grab on. So there's a various companies uh, around the country around the UK certainly will sell carcasses. Effectively, the breast and legs taken off. Yeah. Um, some will take the wings off separately as well. Um, yeah. But that's quite large for them to to be able to go at and it gives a lot of good action all the way through it on all of the teeth
1: yeah lamb Um, ribs you know even a duck neck would be that's the size of a large chunky carrot now that's probably as small as i go with a greeny pink that i thought was trying to kill himself but a duck neck can be quite a serious chunk of meat and there's no way he's going to swallow it i mean there's just no way he wouldn't try you know well i think it can be quite shocking initially i think it's quite remarkable that a. that so few dogs seem to be harmed by bones. I'm sure it happens. And when you post this up on Facebook saying, is there any negative instances out there? You will hear of one or two where, particularly a Labrador given half a pound of chicken necks. And it's like, yeah, he is going to try to eat that like a seagull with a fish, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll get it down as quick as he can. But um, for greedy piggies, I think, up the size of the bone a little bit and only decrease some uh, smaller bones when you're around with a bit of supervision. If you're not going to be around, the bigger bones out the back end a uh, 16-year-old dog, any bone really on the big size is going to be great for them because we know studies show of uh, captive tigers, captive uh, uh, cheetahs and stuff in the zoo that uh, when their teeth are wonky and old, giving them meat on the bone is what makes those teeth uh, last and firm up in the gums. It just increases the, the strength of the teeth in the gums. And there may be a little blood for the first day or two as well, which is what one of those captive tiger studies said. Uh, but that is all part of the process. The dog's not going to absolutely destroy his mare trying to eat a bone. But again, every dog is different, I suppose you need to be careful. But uh, uh, I've seen lots of dogs get dental fractures from big bones. I, you do hear this. Oh, do you see much of that, Brent?
0: You know, um, big bones. Now, are we talking raw? We've got to confirm that for mm-hmm. a start. I've seen a lot of people reporting dental fractures on large bones. And then they talk about those spray tan bones that you get in the you know yeah. uh, pet shops, with stuff yeah. with loads of stuff. And And I just don't see those as bones. They're just really badly designed yeah. toys. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people that have left large bones out for a long period yeah. of time, and they've taken all the cartilage and everything else off. Well, as soon as that's happened, you should be depositing those in the outside yeah, bin. That's a good idea. Do not leave them in the back garden for you know dogs to go back to. Um, uh, they dry out. Because of snow, they dry out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know The protein and everything else sets, and you just don't have um, the same uh, effects. So a few comments about don't ever give a bone bigger than the dog's head. Well, you know, yeah. you could, <laughs> I would say that's still even, that's a bit, I would half the, half the size of the dog's head, I think is is too much. But remember, so much of the neck and backbone stuff is really, you know, the bone material is encased in flesh and sinews and so still get a lot of dental action without there being large amounts of bone in there. So... Yeah, don't worry, I would certainly say in the last um, 20 years that I've been strongly advocating raw within the practice. You know, there's my predecessors there beforehand. You know, the only fractures we've seen have generally been on hard bone materials. um, And we've seen if they've got stuck, they've been put bones, um, which is really interesting. Um, I think I've had the big ones that I see fractures on is antlers. Oh, yeah. Um, Antlers have become very popular as a dog cue. Um, Realistically, I I would soak them, and if they're still having issues, just be careful. Seeing a lot of fractured teeth with antlers.
1: uh, The move now is to uh, small, dried meat on the bone uh, pieces, like small roe deer, you know, small limb bones of deer with meat on the outside, and they've been air dried in inverted commas. And I use those SARC inverted Commons because we have tried to track one company who they them that was producing a huge amount of these. Air air drying is quite a long, slow, and therefore expensive process. So the temptation is to use a bit of heat to dry them out. And you can usually see the difference in these. They look a bit more cooked when they've got heat on them. So when you try to track that company and ask them where that product, oh, it's all EU meat, you know, that's okay, it's EU meat. Um, tell me where those, those deer bones come from. And, you know, it's very hard to track. them. But so the point is, if they're cooked, if they are cooked, uh, and we have seen on a couple of supplier websites uh, on Facebook, a couple of the, uh, I didn't want to name the actual group, but someone saying, we sell these pieces and we are getting uh, the second client to complain about like uh, a, a tooth kind of uh, breakage or whatever. Those cooked dry meat and the bones, I don't trust them. So if they are possibly cooked, you're in for trouble. So yeah, somebody else said the, the bones from your broth, yeah, throw them in the bin, they're diamond hard your bones from your Sunday roast in the bin, even though I grew up giving that bone to my dog, my teeth were ruined by the time she was twelve or thirteen, and we just thought, oh, that's normal, but it's not she's just eating the wrong material, but uh we know we know better now, but um yeah uh, brian I've got uh two people asking the same question on my Facebook page here, so I better okay, yeah. them I'm happy um internal yeast issues okay so I, I'm not sure if we've done a yeast show yet, but if we haven't, we definitely should uh but A few solutions for yeast, and what she says specifically. So uh, this is somebody that's gone through the process. I was thinking of adding Acidophilus to his diet. That probiotic specifically targets yeast production. Have you any experience with that brand?
0: Acidophilus. Yeah, I mean the the idea around yeast is that they don't like acidic environments. Okay, so um, you know we use apple cider vinegar very effectively externally, you know, on yeasty packages, even over grazes and things like that. I think you can just dilute it one in three and still be effective, certainly for internal use. I've also found it very useful. Now, if people worry about the histamine release and all of that side of things. Are they going to be super sensitive? And, you know, if you get a die off of yeasts, are they also going to have issues? When you look at these yeast colonies um, in the gut where they establish, you know, the candidiasis and you've got filaments effectively growing in between that tight junction of cells you know it's feeding in and also telling the body that it needs more sugar so it's trying to direct uh, those people and animals to taking more sugars to feed the colony so of course yeah there are certain probiotics which you know if those bacteria are acidifying the environment within the gut and changing the gut Flora enough, they will help reduce those yeasts, yeast, yeast mm. overgrowth internally. But also, we see that externally. So the results as to what happens on the skin too can also uh, be reflected in that same way.
1: Yeah. So cool.
0: yeah, certainly cool. I have seen that that used. um uh, I would say yeah, go for it. It's it a, a, a good way to yeah.
1: And uh, so, how much apple cider vinegar for what size dog?
0: So for a 10-kilo dog, I would be giving at least a teaspoon twice a day in their food. Um, So that's five mils, okay? Okay. So you can multiply that up. You know, for a 20-kilo dog, that sort of therefore becomes a dessert spoon because I can't be bothered measuring at two teaspoons, (laughs) you know, uh, even a tablespoon. But it's really hard to overdose it, okay? And this is what I say to people. You know, if you accidentally give it a tablespoon – it might have a sour pro face for a, you know a couple of hours.
1: There's no inappetence off that the dog will eat apple cider vinegar.
0: Yeah, I mean certainly you you know some people it will be added into bone broth and therefore they'll be sort of like over overcoming the the taste aspect through the fact that there's bone broth around it and therefore they'll still take that same quantity. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm actually quite happy with, you know, the the healthy apple cider vinegars you can get now with added herbs, uh, good for your gut and things like that. I can tolerate those really well. Um, I would certainly say Christina, my wife, absolutely, um, you know, she has to hold her nose and, and yeah. you know, really screws the face up when she takes yeah. her dose. Um, and I think there's quite a lot of people out there like that. So I, I think, yeah. you know. There, there is going to be a taste element to some
1: dogs. Yeah. Start them slow and build them up to the dose brand just recommended there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not not every dog's going to get on with everything. But, yeah, so ACV is a new, and you want the one with the mother in it, the the, the little bits and pieces in the bottom. So go to your, your local health shop and buy the good stuff.
0: That's all of the prebiotics, effectively, and some probiotics from that ferment when they've made the apple cider vinegar.
1: Oh, cool, cool. So uh, there's loads of other solutions for the yeast, like, uh, getting them off the sugar diets, guys. Getting them off the carbs, and you know yeast needs fuel to survive. But just because you remove the fuel, just because you take away the wheat and corn, sweet potato, rice, potato, dental sticks, you know all the berries, fruit. Just because you take them all away, yeast doesn't just die off. It encapsulates in this bloody cellulose, this fiber, this plant fiber, and so it doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there and waits for the next pea that your dog eats. So it can be particularly stubborn to shift. It can be right divil when your dog is chronically itchy or yeasty and you'll smell it from his ears, dark brown wax, scaldy skin, hair falling off, chronically itchy. So you'll get that cheesy smell. The house is very doggy. The car is very doggy. So um, I, I would say yeah, putting away the carbs is one thing, but then you do need to hit it with a few things. And one good tip is to give them digestive enzymes with cellulase. So cellulase is the enzyme that herbivores produce, but uh, omnivores like me and Bren are dog and meat you just don't so you've got to uh, feed them the enzymes with the cellulase in it and the cellulase suggests the outside of the yeast which is cellulose and uh, just sprinkle it on the foods and, and like a bit of salt so that helps to expose the yeast to what you're going to give them to kill it which is changing your acidity in the gut if you can on a short term and then a little bit of garlic can help mct oil can help and um, there's, there's a, many articles, everyone has written an, an article, on the, and everyone's always got a decent idea. It seems with yeast, no one thing works. I've tried to use the same advice for two or three yeast sufferers, and it doesn't seem to, to work, but you can hit it multiple times. Is there anything after that, brand? So let's say you've tried the natural approach, you've tried two, three herbal addition. the bloody yeast is not going away. Is there anything else a, a vet can do?
0: Well, there are some antifungals that are used, you know, that will treat uh, candida within the gut, um, uh, nice oral things like that uh, that can be given. I'm very strongly against those sort of things that will totally blast. You've got to really support the gut flora if you're going to give any of those because actually there's natural skin yeasts. um, And if you take those away, um, although you don't want excess amounts, if you take away all of them uh, with long courses, you'll get aberrant bacterial growth as yeah, well. So it's about a balance. So wherever you can, it may be change your probiotic options um, if one isn't working. Um, and you know, certainly don't give up after you know, three or four days. That's far yeah. too short a period yeah. of time. Ready, you know, you, you could be looking at, at, at months to change that um, yeah. candidiasis. And diet. Diet, diet, diet is so important. It's not just making the environment uncomfortable for them, but starving them out. Literally, you know, making sure that any root veg or any uh, carb veg of any description that's been added to your raw, yeah, yeah, just take those out, okay? Really stop the yeast from having any food source whatsoever. And watch the treats, you know, for all of those people that are feeding wonderful raw and then, they succumb to giving, uh, you know, a biscuit on the side or a gravy bone, or, well um, uh, yeah. oh, heaven forbid, you know, one of those dental treats um, yeah. uh, that yeah. that are out there that are reconcentrated sugar, basically.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really avoid great. those. Um, yeah. And what was the other thing with you that just came to my mind there? Uh, like uh, a dysbiotic gut. So, like, I, I think a healthy gut flora, You're totally right there to focus on that because a healthy gut flora keeps yeast in the box, keeps its foot on its neck. There's loads of different yeasts and protozoans and viruses and all things whirling around your gut there, not just bacteria. And a healthy gut floor keeps it in check because it wants a nice, healthy host. But when you have an unhappy dog living on chemically-reserved dry food or a nasty infection or a bit of sickness or a bit of stressor, his best mate dies. anything, your gut can shift. And then this pathogenic bacteria doesn't give a damn about what's going on in the surroundings. It just wants to eat and exist. And so yeast, if you feed it, uh, it'll, it'll explode. Is there any other questions we need to get the brand in the couple of minutes that we have there?
0: There's uh, somebody who's got a dog with a spleen removed and they were asked to not feed um, raw. Okay, mm. Now, I can understand where the vet might have been coming from, but I would absolutely not agree with the end result of not feeding it. Have you come across any of these cases that you've had experience of anectomy dogs that have come to you about feeding raw no, or
1: that's to- totally you know. new to me it's not the first organ i've heard it about bloody hell if there's anything wrong with doggy <laughs> yeah. so pick your organ pick your gut issue to eat raw jesus no so apparently any healthy dogs can eat raw but um so no i don't have any experience that i'm still staggered you can take the spleen away such an important part of the immune system and, and you guys keep the dog alive for quite long lives how is that possible yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, because there's so many other resources for the immune system, it's okay. not just the spleen. Yeah. Okay. The spleen is, yes, it's an amazing organ that has lots of capabilities from not just squeezing itself down and producing red cells in a hurry, okay, like yeah. a, an onboard blood bag if really you is. have an accident. Uh, yeah. But actually, um, it has little centers of stem cells which can produce new new blood cells like the bone marrow can, okay, mm. uh, in its own right. Um, but so can the liver. So the liver can take over some of those roles. Yeah. Then we're talking about the actual white cells and, and what you know, where they're produced and how they're uh, taken out so that you're making sure that it's just um, the ones which will fight foreign material, not the ones that could fight your own tissues. So there's a sort of filtration that happens through the thymus. Um, and we often look at that as the, the main organ, but it can happen elsewhere. Um, the um, But if you remove the spleen, look, there are pears patches, which are lymph nodes within the gut lining. There yeah. are um, whole lymph nodes within the mesentery yeah. around the, the gut, um, all the way through to uh, all over the body that act as those uh, effectively watchtowers for infection. Yeah. And I would actually say, that whether you feed raw or not is, you know, having a splenectomy will not affect that. And there are so many tumour cases with spleens removed I'm seeing for hemangiosarcoma treatment um, that we're moving on to raw and quite happy. And I have not seen any of the alarmist, you know, concerns that, uh, that some vets are suggesting. Uh, bone broth and an interesting one for those people that were struggling making their own and you know there are a couple of options out there now um uh, i would say boil and broth uh, is a good bone broth that's out there made specifically for dogs um they do a frozen range
1: um, they are fantastic and uh they've been around for a few years very popular but take all the water out i mean brilliant because now you can ship it anywhere so it's a brilliant idea Uh my pet nutritionist uh it's a good website she writes great articles and she did a good one on bentonite play check it out and but she linked to a great study that i wanted to chat about but the bentonite play is unreal it's just so much evidence behind it i always knew there was something to it and everyone that i that i respect recommends it but when you see the evidence then that really takes me over the edge and like this huge review study of hundreds of studies on bentonite play for so many conditions internally and externally so yeah, giving it with the probiotic pace is a really good idea. It just uh, absorbs. I hate the word detox for some reason. I really don't like it. But when they when you see what bentonite clay can do in studies of animals with these things, it really does just what you hoped it would do just sucks all the badness out. Animals that uh, were were given infections it, before during and after bentonite clay has unreal uh responses. So I will definitely have to come back to bentonite clay. That's a really that's a really good one. Leptosporosis, we didn't get the Ben, I have to because I said to Rebecca, I said I'd ask you, so I'll give us one minute on this. Rebecca has a six-year-old uh, uh one kidneyed cavachon, one kidney cavachon. Uh is there anything she needs to worry about with a one kidney cavachon at six years of age diet-wise?
0: So uh, remember, you only need a quarter of your kidneys to function normally. Okay, so the rest is spare. So having had one taken out, you've still got 50%. So you've got twenty-five percent to go uh, so I'm not too concerned with that okay now there's some people that would do the sort of like I'm risk averse so that I'm going to do something to try and avoid over protein loading but I just remind you give them protein that they can use and assimilate and you're going to have very little waste product yeah if you start to try and feed you know the some of the, the kidney diets which are biscuited and are changed those proteins can only be used for Making energy if they're damaged, they can't assimilate them. So, all you're going to end up with is extra um, ammonia being cut off for the body to cope with um, and and being made into urea. So, I would would say, look, there are, of course, supports, you know, make sure that their dental health is really good throughout their life. That's so important to stop further kidney damage. Make sure that if there's any risk of, you know, coming across grapes or currants or that you are visiting your vet to make sure that they're sick and bringing those back because they're kidney toxic um, in some dogs. And, uh, you know, you want to protect those kidneys as much as possible. And I know there are people out there that would say, well, look, my dog's been fine with a grape a week for all of its life because it's a cumulative toxin. We see those dogs come in when they're 12 with kidney failure and people don't associate it with The, the previous history of constantly having those yeah. little treats.
1: there's a there's always a concern of excess minerals people keep talking about minerals and i say that science is grossly confused with uh, chemical flask minerals supplementary minerals yeah. calcium diphosphate like it, we know it's the phosphate in dry food that's aggravating yeah. the kidneys and kidney disease cats not natural phosphorus it doesn't have the same effect so now we're really questioning going wow it's like zinc oxide iron oxide rust we know that's having a negative effect on lipids whatnot but it's not actually is that the same as natural iron no it's not so it's very interesting we're we're totally unsure now and it's like suddenly the whole uh do you have to drop the phosphorus content in a kidney healthy animal and it's like well natural phosphorus hasn't been shown to be the kick in the kick in the kidneys as that we thought it was but if you are were worried about like think about it, calcium, a calcium uh a, a bitch that has pups or a bitch that's about to about to well you know she can eat meaty bones as much as she likes she's not going to have these calcified pups and she's not going to be turned to a statue herself but you let her nibble on calcium supplements and you'll see the difference in natural uh, calcium and, and, and otherwise but if you are worried about those things i'll plug for my own product if you can feed it, her uh, bones raw meaty bones and you need to get her teeth clean in dogs if you're worried about what can use you easy give them something like any dent which does clean their teeth uh, and then you don't have to uh, go for those dental scrapes because also you don't want uh, animals with, uh, with shock kidneys being put out, GA and stuff, so really old dogs and that kind of stuff. So that is the one time I plugged that product. So important to clean the teeth uh, because it's like a traffic dam and you want to have, it's a six-lane motorway to the kidneys. And you want as little cars on that road as possible. So when you've got too much shit on the, on the roads, you're going to get a traffic jam and that's when you start getting kidney issues. So you start taking off all the things that Bren was mentioning, unnecessary flea compounds, unnecessary worms, unnecessary stuff, uh, and go as clean uh, as you like. And I know Rebecca's probably one of the most natural feeders out there. So yeah. I can't imagine you're doing anything wrong with Rebecca.
0: You know, just if you want to look back for other kidney support items, you know, look back to our one, I know it was based around cats back in April last year, um, but yeah, go onto Patreon and you should be able to find that shortly as a back catalogue of videos. Uh, there's one on renal disease. We do, we do more in depth oh, yeah. stuff there.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. And next week we're going to do this info info wars one, aren't we? We're going to talk about good info. How do we separate the wheat from the chaff? Interesting to hear the vet's opinion on that, uh, my opinion after uh, after doing the book and. and just where we are today, we all seem to be talking about who to trust and who not to trust, and it's a, it's a bit dark. But trying to keep the light side of it with some recommendations and things to do and how we do it. So we thought that might be interesting. Forty-five minutes and probably gonna bit of scandal in there at the same time. So, uh, so that's what's going to be. He loves
0: next. his gossip. Don't don't you worry, guys. There will be a Connor rant. I am oh, yeah, sure definitely. of it. <laughs> next week's
1: a, a hot topic for me, which I'm, I'm already itching to get at. And leprosy, guys. We didn't even get to it. Uh, we do have to do leprosy process, good and proper. I don't believe we've done a full show on it, but there's plenty uh, about leprosy process that I want to understand about it. So I really do think we need to do a week on that, but so that's probably be the week after. Uh, all right, guys, got nice. a dash here. So, uh, Royal Pet Medics yeah. up on Patreon.com, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks to everybody for your donations on Patreon.com forward slash Royal Pet Medics. Really help. Price of a cup of tea, if you can, great. If you can't, no sweat.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: Take care. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: langka <laughs> langka langka